It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my good friend, my co-host, the triple dose of cringe to my UFC 288 main event, Nicholas Handsome Jonathan Braccia. Not the second, not the first, but the third, Nick. Nicky Broadway in the house. How you doing, Stan Dryab? Congratulations on picking up a point back. Let's go. You did outpick High me. High level game over here, Nick. You outpicked me a little bit. A oh, little bit. I, I outpicked you by a point. And let me tell you something. We're now within three points, Nick. The momentum is squarely in my hands. It you is. know what that but means, good, Nick? Good news for me is I know a lot of the fighters on this card. <laughs> but bad news is a lot of tough picks. Yeah, no joke, man. Even even ones with, where the uh, where the odds seem a little bit further apart than you would think. Um, tough, tough picks, man, on this one. I have the first pick this week, Nick, and and you know what? That is all of the advantage that I will need. No, I actually think like first pick on this event is like not valuable at all because I think there's there's multiple picks on uh, at every level, like medium confidence wanna... level, low confidence level, etc. What we real quick? Let's yeah. talk about the last card, like super you wanna, quick. You want to do? Yeah, I mean, listen. What happened at UFC Fight Night? Uh, Simone versus Song. Song versus Simone. Is that Yudong Song essentially had a perfect game plan against Ricky Simone. Simone is not the most durable guy on the planet. And even though he's got a lot of power and speed standing, he's not as crafty as Yudong. He's not as tall as Yudong. And what Yudong did was he showed those knees from the go. He showed them from, from the very first moment of this fight, right? He made sure that Ricky Simone was aware that there are going to be strikes coming up the middle if Ricky Simone shoots. Not only that, but because Yudong Song has a lot of five-round experience, he was able to go for the long haul, right? Like, we've it's hard to be confident in his cardio. He didn't put out a lot against Corey Sandhagen. He only landed 54 strikes as he kind of lost at the end of the fourth round. He didn't look tired, but I thought maybe that was because he didn't put out a lot of offense. He put out a decent amount of offense here. He landed 105. Yeah, over five, five rounds, rounds and yeah. maintained his power. He really He's, did, yeah. Yudon Song has fulfilled the promise of Sage Northcutt. <laughs> yeah, that's very funny. Yeah, I, I don't but, know. Like he's, he's he's probably just as, oh how about how about him talking English and like being charismatic and, and and interesting after the fight. I love this, that. Like let's get more of that, please. He learned so much from the Sanhagen loss. He's got you know he's got Uriah Faber in his corner. S- Song is trouble, man. I pick Yudon Song against against Pedro Jan. They better not give Jan, you know, <laughs> poor Jan. But like Song is really fucking good and he's only 25 and he's got that power and he's got really good confidence um yeah simone i don't think simone's durability is the worst song hits really hard and simone's moving in a lot like but um yeah i mean you song has sick power we knew we knew that but he mixed you know he mixed things up some stuff was a little too flashy like those the the, the back-to-back head kicks were a little ridiculous, um, and never never came any like particularly close to landing. But he's a, a more and more complete fighter, and he's going to be in the title picture in this division, I think, for the next five years. Yeah, I think part of the element, and you're right, especially at his age, given the experience that he's already attained, the fact that he's been five rounds multiple times, and we now know that he can go five rounds at a at at least a medium upper medium pace and walk out looking pretty fresh, which is a great sign for a guy as explosive as he is. Right, he's learned to temper himself under the tutelage of Uriah Faber. He might be, like, on paper, the most talented guy in 
or one of the two most, most talented guys in the history of Team Alpha Male. It's just a matter of can Team Alpha Male turn that around to genuine long-term championship-level success. They haven't really shown the ability to do that thus far, and at 135, it's going to be harder than it is at any other division. The key for Yudong Song were hurting Ricky Simone. The key was for Ricky Simone was to take down Yudong Song. Ricky Simone got two takedowns. Sedong, y- Song Yudong, excuse me, got two knockdowns, though. I would make that trade any day on Yudong's side, and the thing about it is that because Yudong Song is so explosive, he was able to explode back to his feet. Ricky Simone is not known for his high-level control. He's known for relentless takedowns, right? And it was hard to go for those takedowns given the risk of those knees coming up the middle. Uh, he was showing occasional uppercuts, right? He was giving him the signals of, like, you're going to pay a price for this. I think Laura Sanko said this uh, on a recent Contender Series fight. She said, you got to advertise the price of admission. So, like, he kept showing him the price of, if he went for those takedowns, what, the, uh, what he could get hit with. And I think it made... Ricky Simone a little That's bit more. That's a really good idiom. Yeah, it really That's, is. I like, I like that. Yeah, he's he's terrific. I mean, Team Alpha Male. He looks so fucking great. I got you know. I always wonder if he's if he's the new CEO of EPO when a guy looks that good, especially coming from that gym. Yeah, but like, point. love to see him against any of those contenders. Love to see him against Cejudo, Sterling, like any of the any of the top guys. I think you called it, Nick. I think the next best matchup would be the former champ. If Peter, if Peter Yan is going to have a career, like I mean, it's not good for Peter. Give him, don't get me wrong. Give get we need to we need to give Yan Ricky Simone, like that's fair. That's actually a pretty like considering the matchup he just lost. I mean, there's real risk there too. But considering the matchup he just lost, there's real risk there. But yeah. like, there's a like give that's that's the fight I would make for Yan. You got to rebuild Yan. If Yan can't get by Ricky Simone, and listen, no disrespect to Simone, I've really enjoyed watching him fight. Uh, and he's he's definitely shown something, and he is a top ten, you know, fringe of top ten fighter in the best division there is. Um, but if Jan's days of being top five are definitely in question, if he cannot uh, beat Ricky Simone convincingly, if he can't beat Ricky Simone, then his days in the top five are likely done. I would say more than in yeah. question, because um, at this point they're already in yeah. question, right? Like using uh, losing to O'Malley, and like it wasn't like really a robbery; it was a competitive fight that 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 O'Malley scored more damage in. Right, so like that's what we're going to factor in more than anything else. And this is the guy that Jesus. scores so- Song O'Malley would be f- holy oh, that'd be, shit. That'd be fantastic. But O'Malley has no reason to take that matchup at least right now. Um, let's see what happens in, in in this matchup. Right, there's a chance that if Cejudo wins, that they're going to go for a rematch. Although the UFC wouldn't want to give Sterling the rematch, they don't like Sterling. So maybe I'm wrong there. Like the, the UFC has to like you, or you yeah. have to pull in pay per view buys for you to get a rematch. Being a defending champion in itself is not necessarily enough, and I think there's a good chance UFC would put Sterling last, in with a hard matchup if he loses this one. Yeah, I agree. La- last question, and then we, I know we have to move on. Do you see Song having any trouble making 135? He's a pretty big dude. I haven't seen any indication that it's been a problem for him. I don't think he's missed yeah, weight I haven't before. either. Um, but so he I, does I, look I pretty big. Not. I'm just... Okay. Yeah, he's, a big, he's um, a big muscular dude, but also let me see here. He is... 5'8". I mean, he's a decent height for the division. He's definitely not a small guy. Um, no indication yet. I do think, you're right, as he grows older, he's only 25 years old, dude. He's a child with this level of experience, with this level of explosiveness and technique. Um, so, like, by the time he's 30, 31, I would, I would assume he's at 145 and he's doing, you know, he's doing fairly well there, top 15 material at least. And, quite honestly, not as good of a division as this one. So maybe he can do really well at 145 eventually. But, again, like, the prediction was when he first came into the UFC that this is a guy that will likely fight for the title. That prediction came a lot closer to fruition with this win. Jesus. And he's, he, I forgot he lost to Kyler Phillips two years ago. And it's like, where the fuck is Kyler? I guess Phillips is hurt, but, like. 
Yeah. Um, Kyler Phillips yeah. is is really legit. The the loss to Julian Juli, excuse me Julian Paiva is yeah, a little bit concerning. Um, yeah. Bullshit. It was a bad decision. You thought. If I remember correctly, it was a bad decision. If I remember correctly, he dominated the first round and and the arguably at least arguably lost this the second and third rounds, um, and that's why it was a majority decision. But l- listen, Kyler Phillips is a talented dude. I'm curious to see him make this comeback. Kyler Phillips at this point is how old he is. Hold on, uh, I'm can't be that old. His name, his name, is, his name is fucking Kyler. He's 27. Yeah. Exi- yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a good point. That's funny. <laughs> that's a really good point. Actually, not a not a bet. You know what? I'm kind of into the Kyler Phillips. Uh, I'm kind of uh, into the Kyler name, Nikolai. I mean, it's not a bad name. I mean, you have a daughter named Skylar. I'm just saying it's a name that didn't exist when we were born. True story. Nikolai, I, I think that's about all we have to touch on on this card, unless you disagree. Let me see. Um, anything else? Uh, Kyle Braulio seems pretty legit so far, and he's going to continue to rise up those rankings. I can't get the thought so of... What do you want? Let's just talk about what, what's next. All, all, all I want to talk about with that is who do you match him up against next? Uh, it would it would require for me to have the UFC rankings open, but I'm thinking like we're going into top twelve, top ten territory. Um, I'm gonna click right, I'm gonna it call real quick. it. Talk to me. I'm gonna. Oh boy. What are you thinking? Um, you got you got Gastelum coming off that win. You've got. Um... I think realistically, like we're talking Imavov, Chris Curtis. Maybe uh, yeah. Brendan Allen's probably like a little bit too soon. Like, but but I would like I would like to see him like take a slightly slower trek up. I don't think we need to rush him into like the killers at this division. I mean, I think Jack, I think when I guess Jack Hermanson's hurt, right? Because he fell off. He fell out of that fight with uh, Brendan yeah. Allen. Yeah. So I would. I don't. I don't have the prospect first prospect problem that that you've got a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, he came out of this clean. I don't know if anyone has stepped in to fight Brendan Allen. They called out Strawn Strickland. Brendan Allen against Kyle, like yeah, I think, I think short notice would be that would be right. really really fun. It would allow him to build to build his start and win some favor from the UFC. Uh, if not, I would I would wait for Hermanson to get healthy. Sold, Nikolai. And then outside of that, anything worth mentioning? I'm looking at the card now. I don't particularly really. think so. No. Oh, I will say Irina Alexieva over Stephanie Egger. She just like took yeah, her that out surprised of there. us. That was surprising she, and impressive. She, she, yeah, it turned out she. Does have judo? Yeah, no joke. And um, uh, Marcus <laughs> McGee. Uh, it was more like arguably jujitsu, but Marcus McGee on a literally a couple of days' notice making his UFC debut. Granted, not against a great opponent, but he roughed up Journey Newsom and finished the man. That was impressive stuff. So another prospect from the uh, from the um, Rufus Sport. Oh, the excuse me, the MMA Lab camp, uh, which sometimes gets kind of underestimated. Like this kid seems talented, and for him to pull that off on a couple of days' notice is really impressive. But that will do it for that card, Nikolai. Let's get into UFC 288. This is what the crowd is here for, Nick. This is what our dozens and dozens of listeners have tuned into this podcast for. Um, Are we up to that many? How dare you, sir? I give out autographs every time I go outside. Every time. Now, I'll be honest with you. Nobody solicits them, right? Like, I'm going out and I'm offering autographs. And some people are kind enough to humor me. But still, I give out autographs every time I'm out there. Nick, uh, 14 fight card. We've got a lot to break down. We've got to dive right into it. We have limited time to do so. We each take turns picking fights on the upcoming card. A regular pick is worth one point, especially if you pick a favorite, right? But if you pick an underdog of plus 150 to plus 249, you get two points if that underdog underdog comes through for you. You pick an underdog of plus 250 or above, you get three points for that one uh, as long as that underdog comes through for you. Nikolai, I am only three points behind you at this point. You got a three-point lead for this year, for this season. My first pick is going to be in the matchup between Rolando Bedoya and Chaos Williams. Rolando Bedoya, he's honestly a solid offensive striker. He's got a high volume. 
doesn't have a whole lot of power, and he's very hittable. He's durable. Don't get me wrong. It's not like he'll drop and, and you know give up the TKO as soon as he gets hit, but he gets hit with just about every power shot that his opponent throws, and if Chaos Williams is able to land on you at that at that uh, pace, Chaos Williams is the guy with the UFC experience. He's shown he has some level of craft, and the fact that his opponents are afraid of his power is a huge factor. He's fast and he's powerful. On the uh, on the local scene, he went for a lot of takedowns, right? Before he probably knew that he had this level of power. So he has the potential to go for that in this matchup, worst case. But he is going to be the shorter man here. So Rolando could be one of those like giant, uh, oversized 170-pounders that comes in and looks great in the UFC debut. But it's hard to expect that of him against Chaos Williams, Williams in his UFC debut. I got my boy Chaos. So you're going with Chaos, okay. By the way, he's 6'11", 5'11". He's not like a complete giant. Actually, Chaos Williams is 6 feet tall. He's technically taller. So Chaos Williams with some confidence on this one for me. I think uh, I think the odds are not unreasonable given all the factors. And he, okay. Uh, and he's a heavy favorite? Uh, yeah, minus 300 or so. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go, actually, I haven't even looked at the odds of this fight. I should probably check them out first. Yeah, minus 190 favorite. Um... You know, maybe there's some underdog love for Devin Clark, but the fact of the matter is, like, I haven't seen a ton from him, and against un- unpredictable whirlwind guys with a lot of power, like, Devin Clark doesn't seem to hold up very well. Um, and I don't think he's got the craftiness um, to deal, to survive three rounds with Kennedy uh, and Zuchukwu. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Kennedy to have another like you know ridiculous finish, maybe a forearm to the face, maybe a shot. I just I just think he's got. Uh, I think he's got too much explosiveness and power uh, for Devin Clark. And the mistake and the kind of mistakes that he makes, I don't think Clark and he's gonna make mistakes. I don't think Clark's the guy to capitalize on them. I do hear that. Clark is not much of a finisher, but he's a grinder. He has a tremendous amount of experience, and he often overperforms in matchups where we don't expect him to. That and the fact that they've got a common opponent in Da Jung, and Clark basically just controlled and won the entire fight. Da Jung knocked out Enzo uh, Chukwu in the first round with an elbow. So, again, MMA math, I think, is becoming more of a factor in this stage of MMA than it was 10, 15 years ago. And I'm not saying it's that simple. It just I, I think there's a little bit of risk here, but I don't blame him for making this pick at this point in the competition. It's just concerning that, like, Kennedy can get taken down. We've seen it in the past. Devin Clark could do that. He could just take him out of the game that Kennedy's really good at. But I love Kennedy's high output. He's a giant for the division. He's at 6'4", really, really long reach, and he just puts 100 strikes on you per round. However many of those land is one thing, but it's overwhelming, right? It just makes you want to get out of there. It makes you want to find the escape button. And Devin Clark is a guy that has found the escape button in the past. So I agree with you on the pick. But, again, with some trepidation, my next pick is going to be in the matchup. And, and I feel like... All the rest of these have a have a decent bit of risk to them. I think I'm going to pick from the matchup between Braxton Smith and Parker Porter. Uh, I motherfucker, hate... I wanted to pick this. See, the fact that you say that makes me want to pick something else. Because every time you fucking say that, I get that pick wrong, Nick. Um, you know what? Be my guest. <laughs> Braxton Hicks has a lot of power. He's explosive. But he's got nothing else, right? He just wings giant shots. He's he's not super tall for, for this division, but he's muscled up. So, like, you look at these guys, physically, it looks like Braxton Smith should be the way better fighter. But just because he's the muscled up one against what looks like a, a chubby guy in Parker Porter doesn't tell the whole tale of the story. Parker Porter is only six feet tall, fair, but he's a big, dense guy. He's got wide, powerful legs. He's got good take. He's a kind of a well-rounder, all-rounder, right? He's pretty solid everywhere, not great anywhere. Um, he's got 
he's got pretty good hands, but not a whole lot of power. And his durability has waned on him in the past. So either Braxton hits, gets him out of there in the first few moments, or Parker Porter drags him into deeper waters and finishes him in the second or third round. I'm going to go with Parker Porter, but again, picking a heavyweight fight this early is, is a mistake, and I, I realize this as I make it. <laughs> I think uh, I was going to go the opposite. Um, I was going to go really? with the underdog pick because just, I mean, I always get Parker Porter wrong. Um, but uh, Oh, that yeah, makes me feel know. better about say, this pick then, the fact that you're disagreeing yeah, with it. So, um, I'm going to go uh, next pick. I'm going to go with Jessica Andrade uh, to defeat Sean Um I, I just don't think, listen, Andrade isn't like that. She loses in those top three. Uh, you know, matchup. She loses against a. You know, she can't necessarily keep the gate for an Aaron Blanchfield, like somebody who's got like one, who's just a one of one in a in an area. But Jan's just when Jan has tried to step up against competition of this level, she has not succeeded. And the fact is that, that most of the division still buckles when they feel Jessica Andrade's power. Um, and I don't, I, I don't think that. Um, this could be exciting, but I just think that Andrade hits harder, and I don't think that Jan is a one-of-one one anywhere where she's going to be able uh, to keep Andrade down, to uh, to, nullify, to nullify her game. Um, I think there's a possibility of a first-round knockout uh, for Andrade, but I think she should at least win the first one in, one in two-thirds rounds handily. So I, the reason I disagree with this pick for our competition, at least, is because we've seen Jessica Andrade get pieced up on the feet before, and I assure you, Yaon and Jan is the better stand-up striker overall. It doesn't mean that she won't necessarily succumb to the power uh, of Jessica Andrade, right? Like, few, few fighters are going to really stand up to her power and take clean shots from her, but I'm not sure she's going to take a whole lot of clean shots. Um, the concern, really, in this matchup is what happened with the Carlos Parza matchup against uh, Yaon and Jan, and that... In that Yan was taken down and kind of dominated by Esparza. And Esparza was super aggressive. That's how she earned the title shot. TKO'd her in the second round. Can Jessica Andrade get takedowns? Yeah, potentially she could do that here. But Yan is a really skilled fighter. A plus 160, it's a it's good value. I would have gone for the two-point pick in this one. But, you know, Jessica Andrade has been fairly reliable at times. Just seeing Jessica Andrade get pieced up the way she has, she either wins in a very clear way or she loses <clears throat> very clearly. What are right? the, what are the, who are the strikers that you've seen piece up Jessica Andrade? Well, I mean, in her last matchup, she was getting pieced up against the grappler. That's cause, that's because she was absolutely terrified she was going to end up on her back from someone who nobody gets up from. I could. That's I could, very. Different. I mean, against a really young fighter who should be leagues below. I, I guess, like, I mean, she held her own she against was, jo- she held her own against Joanna striking for the first, you know, for the first round and change. Like, I don't, I don't barely, see Andrade just barely. You want to, yeah, but that's her up. that's an elite striker. Like, I don't know, I don't see Andrade. Seen, having, we've seen Joanna get we've seen Joanna get beat up standing. She striked with Ro- she's she striked with Rose like very convincingly. For Ro- the, Rose was second. absolutely piecing her up anytime they were actually standing across from each other. There were moments in and which Andrade in that in that second fight i mean i thought the, I the thought second fight she may have won that fight to be fair like there's that's what i'm talking made, about but but standing up rose being the first fight she was getting pieced up the second yeah. fight i thought she did quite well yeah um, she she did overall do well i just like i i have a like given what we've seen with uh, with yan in, in her last few bouts granted that again that that Carlos Parza matchup is a real concern. I thought she beat Marina rodriguez she lost that split decision she should have won that fight she beat mackenzie dern who is the best just pure grappler in this division maybe in all of women's mma right granted not a great wrestler but she beat Mackenzie dern 
And and I thought like decisively so, even though it was a majority decision for some reason. She beat, uh, to be fair, she beat Angela Hill back in the day in a, in a very competitive decision. Uh, part of my yeah, I, I just I don't, I don't I'm not sure that I believe in Jessica Andrade uh, against a fighter who's not going to be overwhelmed. But we did see Yang get overwhelmed in that matchup against uh, against Carlos Barza. So there's a chance. Look, I just think it's a super close pick'em, and at plus one sixty, there's value on on Yang. That's all I'm saying. Outside of that, like if these odds were were tight, I maybe would have edged Andrade. It's, it's really hard. It's a really really tough matchup to pick. And again, that's why I would have gone with the underdog. But I don't blame you for picking Andrade, who's been reliable for so many years. And you're right that only the elite beat her. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Rafael Esteban and Zhalgas Zhumagulov. Zhalgas Zhumagulov is a really goddamn good fighter for a guy that has a 1-5 UFC record. In fact, there's an argument to be made he should be... There's an argument to be made, honestly, he should be like 3-2 and two or 4-1 and one in the UFC. He did should he have just retire? That. Yeah, he, it, and that is concerning. To be fair, he did retire, quote-unquote, at the end of the Charles Johnson fight. Maybe he was just frustrated in the moment. He should have won that Charles Johnson fight very clearly. Like, very clearly. He should have won the Jeff Molina fight. Lost that split decision. Manel Kopp was able to get him out of there. Uh, Amir Al-Bazi was able to get that top position and do well against him, right? Huilan Paiva, he should have won that fight too, probably. Although that, that one was more competitive than, than, you know, in robbery territory. I just feel like Rafael Esteban is, he's got really good offensive like, top position, he's nasty, right? His ground and pound is ferocious. It's nonstop. Um, will he be able to keep uh, Paiva... Uh, excuse me. Will he, be, will he be able to keep Zalgas there? I'm not so sure. I think as long as Zalgas is in a good mind frame, he should be able to do well here. The judges might rob him. They do it every goddamn time they get the chance. The judges do not like this guy's style. Because at times, he looks like he's just diving for legs and that sort of thing, uh, backing up at times. But I think he should be able to pressure here, um, avoid most takedowns, pop up to his feet, and just do more damage on the feet. He's got the UFC experience in space compared to Rafael, but Rafael, he could be like a Diego Sanchez type guy where he's just like relentless pressure and offense and, and uh, ground and pound overwhelms guys. Um, I just figure Zalgas is not likely to get overwhelmed. And Zalgas is a two-point underdog, so I, I like the um, I like the two-point opportunity here. Uh, you're picking you're picking like a man on a mission. I'm starting to get a little bit worried here. You should. Um, this means nothing. I'm going to go with... By the way, do you I agree mean, with the pick or no? Yeah, I do. Okay. Um, I like uh, cr- you know I like Crazy Eyes Verna Shandaroba, but um, she's not at quite underdog odds, and I I think I just for someone that good at jujitsu like her she's one of those fighters where her wrestling game is not quite strong enough, and Marina Rodriguez has you know has that pop, and we have not seen her. Uh, you know, we haven't seen Marina Rodriguez look very look very compromised or in that much trouble uh, in most of her fights. I don't think that. Uh, I, yeah, I just don't think uh, Jennifer was going to be able to strike with her, and I don't think that Rodriguez is going to end up in position bad positions frequently enough uh, for Jennifer to take uh, advantage. And if she does, I think Rodriguez should. She's been around long enough that I think that her composure should outlast uh, Jennifer's attempts. Yeah, it's a tricky one. We've seen Marina Rodriguez get dominated for at least a round against certain p- opponents, basically being taken down and and completely controlled from mount and, and back control and that kind of thing. And Virna Jandiroba is an elite grappler. I actually think she could have and should have won the matchup against Mackenzie Dern had she like fought confidently and realized she could do well from top position because she was the better wrestler. Look, she has pretty decent offensive striking. She's got some power in those hands. She's got long arms, but her defense is not great. That's concerning against Marina Rodriguez, who's kind of a ferocious offensive striker. Not super crafty 
then that she's going to move her head and, and, and make sure to make you miss all your shots and land hers. She just overwhelms you with strikes. I just feel like Verena Jandiroba should be smart enough to get takedowns. And once she does, there's not much reason to believe that Marina Rodriguez will be able to get up. I think Verena should be able to get takedowns huh. in at least a couple of these rounds. So I'm edging Verena very slightly. I don't think, yeah, I don't think she's going to be able to take her down, but I could be wrong. Well, based on what? Uh, if you look at Marina Rodriguez's wrestling stats, l- let me see here. Yeah, but Jandiroba is not a very good wrestler. I think she is. I feel like I don't. She... I think she's a great grappler. I don't think she's. I, I don't think that she's a terrific takedown fighter. So I'm looking at Marina Rodriguez's record. She was taken down by Madeline Most. Nothing to be ashamed of. Yan Jeonan took her down twice. Mackenzie Dern took her down once, and to be fair, didn't finish her. That's a huge thing in her favor, right? And she landed 144 strikes against Mackenzie Dern's 49. Uh, Michelle Watterson was able to take her down once. Amanda Hebos took her down once. Carlos Spalzer took her down five times. Cynthia Calvillo took her down three times. Um, even though her wrestling defense is listed at 65%, which is like, you know, medium, not bad, um, she gets taken down by most opponents. Virna took down Angela Hill three times. Angela Hill's not easy to take down. She took down Amanda Hebos. She took down Mackenzie Dern. Um, she took down, you know, Mallory Martin, Felice Herrig. She gets her takedowns, and she has, let me see, a takedown uh, average... Takedown offense, let me see, is 38%. Doesn't look great on paper. Uh, I think she should be able to get top position a couple times. But look, it's a pick-em fight for good reason. And I don't blame you for going the other way on this one against the fighter that will land more strikes. I definitely see where it comes from. She's used to facing grapplers, uh, Marina Rodriguez is, to your point. Next, I'm going to take... In the Bryce Mitchell, Movsar, Evloev matchup, this is a really good one at 145. Both are really, really good grapplers. Bryce Mitchell, I would say, better on the floor with his actual Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Like he does some crafty stuff that very few people are able to pull off, pull off at a high level. Bryce Mitchell is able to pull it off, and both these guys have 16 fights in their career. Bryce Mitchell has the one loss to the absolute monster in Ilya Teporia. And to be honest, he says he was really sick for that fight. Is it an excuse? Yes. Do I believe him? Yeah. And the main reason I believe him is because John Anik said that he was extremely low energy and did not look good at all in the fighter meeting the day before the fight. This is a guy that has a lot of energy. He's, he's jovial. He's talkative. He'll talk about his insane conspiracy theories and how the earth is flat with you all day. In fact, him and Cron Gracie both believe that, and they're both on the main card here, which is fascinating. Um, I think he really was sick in that Ilya Teporia fight, but... I still think that Mofsar Evlov might be able to get enough takedowns. I, 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 there's a chance I might flip this pick. If this was a plus 250 for Bryce Mitchell, I would have taken it. But it's a little bit too close for that. For that reason, I'm going to go with Mofsar Evlov, who I think should, be, should have the edge in wrestling. Bryce Mitchell should probably be the slightly better striker. Even though Mofsar Evlov is technical there, Bryce Mitchell hits pretty hard. And Bryce Mitchell, I know, likes the pressure. Um, it's going to be a close one. It's going to be a firefight. It's going to be back and forth. It's not going to be a dominant loss that he experienced to Ilya Teporia. But uh, I'm going to edge Mulsar Evlov slightly. I'm regretting making this pick this early as I talk about it. Yeah, it's a got? tough one. I just it's hard because I hate Bryce Mitchell so much. But um, <laughs> I actually like I him. Just, I just he's insane and and his beliefs are literally the opposite of mine. I, but he's still likable I, somehow. I just don't know if he's going to be able to submit guys at the at the level at this Evlov yeah. level. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but can he win on points? I think is the question, right? Yeah, um, I don't think so, but. You know, I'm wrong all the time. Um, all right, I'm going to go with the co-main event. I'm going to pick Bilal Muhammad to beat Gilbert Burns. Um, maybe I'll eat my words here. Actually, what are the odds, too? Let me look at those. Pretty close. Uh, yeah, Bilal is a slight underdog, so I'm not getting an underdog pick here. But I think that, you know, Muhammad has shown, and he's got really, he's in a really good camp now. He seems extremely confident. And we know what Burns is going to do, and we know Burns is durable, and we know that Burns isn't going to gas over three rounds. 
like Sean Brady did. But this the fact that Bilal Muhammad can change up his style that I think if he uses jabs, teep kicks, and all of that like lateral movement, that he is going to I, – I think that it's like – I'll compare it to baseball. I think Bilal Muhammad is just a craftier pitcher than Gilbert Burns is. I think he can use the equivalent of off-speed stuff. I think he can – you know, he can throw jabs, use that lateral movement, get Burns to chase him a little bit because Burns likes to stay in the pocket. And if Muhammad's smart, he's going to stay out of the fucking pocket. He's going to get Burns to chase him. And then when Burns starts thinking, oh, more lateral movement, oh, like it's there that Muhammad will change up and like, boom, left hook. Like, I, I just think that I think that Bilal Muhammad is um, is a crafty enough fighter. And I think he's learned like when it's safe for him to be in the pocket and when it's not. Um, he's not going to be able to outlast, like, Sean Brady uh, fight. He's going to look like he's running a bit in the first round. Um, but I think I, I think he can land more. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think, that, I think that he can land more. He just has to really mix up his, sp- his strikes uh, and stay on his bike and not try to get in. If he can stay out of a war, I believe this is Bilal Muhammad's fight to lose. Um, but that's a, that's a, you know, that's a big question. He has shown the, the last few fights, he can really hang to a game plan. And I think, I think Gilbert Burns is game planable. I think he's a brilliant game planner. I think that's one of his best attributes who? is that, uh, Blah Muhammad. Who, who? Oh yeah. Um, See, he, we're, we're in agreement here. Yeah. Okay, he that. watches a lot of tape and he not only watches tape on his opponents, but he also watches matchups that are similar to the one that he's experiencing. So he'll he'll look at Gilbert Burns' losses and look at the ways in which he lost and what the trends are. He'll look at somebody with Gilbert Burns' style and look at another high-level fighter who beat somebody like that and what the game plan was, what they what, what they used to, to defeat someone like that, right? His fight IQ is high. He's got a right. tremendous amount of experience. Decent striker, but I'd say that's kind of the weak point of his of his game, right? Like He's not the best it's, chin on planet Earth. Like he's durable the, and he's not the best chin. Yeah, no, he's but his, mo- his movement's good, sure. and he started using his jab a lot better, and he's yes. got reach. Yeah, no, so no it's doubt. like he's not a mer- he's not like a killer striker unless he gets to that volume stuff. But he, what he what he has learned how to do is to get you to walk into his striking to get like, I, yeah, I I feel like he's learned how to use his athleticism. Um, and it is that adaptability. It is that fight IQ, and it is, I think, his ability to to bait uh, is going to work. I think Gilbert Burns is a baitable fighter. Yeah, you're right that Gilbert Burns is likely a baitable fighter. I think he's the best that he's ever been now for sure. And that's you know, I don't he's think anybody really would disagree with that. Yeah, but and here's here's a point that you're making is is uh, like we both talked about the game planning of Bilal Muhammad. And the one major flaw in Gilbert Burns' game that's been consistent over multiple fights now, we saw it against Kamzat Shemaev, we saw it against uh, uh, against Kamar Usman, is that the jab is his worst enemy. Hell, the jab from either stance seems to be his worst enemy. Nobody's been hurt by I more jabs the in the numbers. top 10 than yeah. Gilbert Burns. And you're right that Baha Muhammad has a decent jab, or at least a consistent jab. Not a whole lot of power there, but if he can consistently throw that jab standing, he should be in a decent spot here. My concern is this. Gilbert Burns is coming off of a training camp and a fight, right, a month ago. He dominated that fight against uh, against game-bred Masvidal. An old, yeah, an old guy. True, true. But but, that, but part of their argument in his favor there is not necessarily that it was an incredibly impressive win, although Masvidal rarely gets dominated to that extent, but the fact that, the fact that he 
wasn't hurt much, right? It was a one-sided fight where he, he didn't take a whole lot of damage, but he still must have taken some damage, right? So he fought a month ago. He should be in good shape, and then he took this fight, and he continued that. He didn't lose much cardio, uh, although he's now going into a five-round fight. Whereas Bilal Muhammad, who's known for really good cardio, he, you know, had Ramadan leading up to taking this coming fight. Off, coming off the couch. Coming off True. the couch, essentially. And I'm sure he's a guy that trains regularly, but he's got a podcast. He's he's doing a lot of interviews, a lot of social media. He didn't have an actual fight camp, even though he's been calling, calling for one and working on, on getting a big fight. Maybe waiting for a title shot or, or a big fight that'll set him Wait, up for a title shot. hang on a shot. second. Yeah. Why is this five rounds? Why is this five rounds? I thought well, this that's was a three-round fight. It's a five-round fight because they both apparently, uh, like, pushed for that. And Gilbert Burns maybe because Bilal Muhammad's coming oh. off the couch. Bilal Muhammad because he realizes Gilbert Burns tends to get tired. Here's the thing. That's I a didn't huge, know that. Yeah. That's a, I don't love it. I don't love it. Yeah. Um, again, given that he's coming off the couch, but he's the guy that's known for better cardio. He's He's got, a, on paper, better cardio base, partially because he doesn't expend as much energy with every strike. Gilbert Burns is light years, light years faster than Bilal Muhammad. It's not even, it's not even close. And in those first two or three rounds, it's really going to show itself. In a three-rounder, I would have picked Gilbert Burns under these circumstances with some confidence. In a five-rounder, it's hard because I'm not genuinely sure how good a shape Bal Muhammad is in. I know Bal also asked for this fight to be at a higher weight division, at a catch weight, um, when it was first offered to him, right? And so that's another question. What's his weight cut going to be like? Is that going to affect his chin? So again, given all these variables, it is a pick It would be one of my last couple of picks. Um, I guess I'll edge with you with Bilal Muhammad because I think like he can likely take over in the second half of the fight because Gilbert Burns expends a lot of energy. And I'm not sure that Gilbert Burns can take him down because Bilal Muhammad has a 92% takedown defense against some pretty good competition. Um, Bilal Muhammad might be able to take Gilbert Burns down. I think he'll be okay. I think, oh, I definitely think he can. Yeah, and, and I think that's probably his best bet for at least like in, at least winning one or two of those three rounds that he needs to win is by getting top position against Burns. And Burns working on submissions, but Bilal you know, landing landing some shots. They're going to be pitter-patter, to be fair, right? He's not much of a finisher. Gilbert Burns is the finisher between these two. Uh, I'm just not super confident in Burns' conditioning. Uh, again, speed advantage think, in Burns. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's almost flashing back. I'm just thinking of it, and maybe I'm full of shit. But, like, I feel like Bilal Muhammad is almost turning into, like, a pr- an homage to GSP or, like, a proto-GSP. Except that he's Burns got con- one-tenth of the athleticism. Yeah, right. And I, Gilbert Burns just reminds me of you know, he's, he still fights a little bit like... Well, never mind. I'm not even going to say it. Um, Who are you going to say? I'm, I wonder. Koscheck or, or Tiago Alves or something? Tiago Alves. <laughs> well, true. But, but Gilbert Burns has recently been... Oh, he's way better than Tiago Alves. Yeah, he's, he's also recently been getting into takedown mode, right? Where he's consistently getting takedowns against high-level opposition. He's not taking as much risk standing. No, his jiu-jitsu, his jiu-jitsu is really good. I but his think. wrestling also is phenomenal <laughs> yeah. now. He took yeah, down is, Jorge, Jorge Masvidal easier than, easier than Usman did, easier than Colby Covington did. Easier than Damian Maia did. Like, he, yeah. he had less resistance granted Mosfidal going into his retirement fight. I know it's a factor. But it does seem like Gilbert Burns' wrestling has really leveled up um, on top of his striking. Look, if, his, if Gilbert Burns' cardio holds up, I think he should win this fight. I'm, not, I'm still not truly convinced that it will hold up in a five-rounder. Um, and the fact that he's so weak to the jab is a concern. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with you here on Bilal Muhammad. Uh, I, I like that he's a dog, and, and we're both kind of leaning that way. But again, extremely, extremely hard fight to pick. My next pick is going to be in the matchup, Nikolai, um, between Johnny Munoz and Daniel Santos. Johnny Munoz, basically, uh, he's actually developing a pretty good jab. He's got some speed on his strikes now, but he's really predominantly a grappler, right? He he uh, actually recently has been spending time at Entrom Gym, which is really to his credit. I think that'll really help him develop. Uh, the striking is developing, but not dangerous at all there. Um, I like that his jab is consistent, but Daniel Santos... He's a guy that's very hittable, right? He's he's got a kind of a wild, high octane fighter. 
pressures relentlessly. He is extremely hittable, but pretty durable. He'll keep getting up. He'll keep working toward it. And he'll keep hunting you down. Kind of like Charles Oliveira. He'll get dropped. He'll get up and go right toward you. Put your back against the fence and land some big strikes. He's got he's conditioned. He's got a lot of heart. Um, but he doesn't have the elite grappling of Oliveira. And so if Johnny Munoz can consistently get to opposition, he can do well here. I'm going to lean toward Daniel Santos because um, in his last fight in the UFC, in which he which he had a huge comeback in a fight that, uh, against, I, I think, Castaneda, his name is, in a fight where he was getting dropped three times in that first round and then came back and won by knockout in the, third, in the second round, partially because his opponent was exhausted from trying to finish him. But Daniel Santos is relentless, and, and I like his style. I'm going to edge him against Johnny Munoz, but he's a young guy and he makes mistakes, so you know, very, very well could go the other way here. Next, I'm going to go with, um, oh boy, this fight's going to be wild and fun, uh, but I'm going to go with Drew Dober over, oh man, am I making the right move here, over Matt Frivola, just because Dober, we've seen Frivola get, they both put guys out, put guys out early, surprisingly, Frivola is hung with, he gave Jalen Turner his prospect loss. But Dober has um, – nobody really gets Dober – if they get Dober out of there, it's not right away. You know, I feel like this is likely to end uh, – I think this is likely to end the first round. And I just think Dober's got a little more um, explosiveness, a little – he's 34. Is Favola actually the younger guy in this matchup? Yeah, somehow he's 32, um, even though he looks he looks older. Um, and Dober does have like a lot of losses, but I just I think this is going to be a I think this is going to be a gunslinger matchup, and I just think Drew Dober's got more explosive bullets. Yeah, I mean Drew Dober's the kind of guy that'll likely lose the first round against a good opponent, but eventually he'll just keep going at you. He's got good conditioning. He trains at elevation. Um, and he's facing Matt Favola, who actually has pretty solid wrestling. He's a good pressure fighter. He's recently developing some serious power, partially at least under the tutelage of Ray Longo, but his chin has been a bit of a liability for him, and Drew Dober just has to land a bomb at some point. So I tend to agree with you, leaning towards Drew Dober, because he's the kind of guy that will find that knockout even late in a fight that's not going his way. But it's hard to underestimate... uh, It's hard to underestimate... um, Frivola, like he's he's come through. He's he's also one of the few people that has like a pretty clear cut win over um over God damn it, it's one of those names that escapes me. A very tall Jalen Turner. Jalen Turner, right? Like yeah, I mentioned I mentioned that in my in my analysis. No, no, I know I know you did, but but yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm there with you on Drew Dober, but again, close fight and we're now down to the wire. Like all these fights are gonna be uh very close on paper and hard to choose between. My next pick is going to be in the matchup. Between Phil Hawes and Ikram Aliskarov, there's there's real risk here going in both directions. I'm having a hard time with it, to be honest. Ikram is just a really good wrestler and grappler. He's a Dagestani guy. His only loss, I think he's 16 and one. His only loss is to um, is to uh, is to Kamzat Shemaev, right? And that that is an impressive feat on your record. I think he was doing pretty well. 13 and one, excuse me. He's not 16 and one. He was doing pretty well in that fight too until Kamzat landed an uppercut. It was Kamzat was super raw back then. He was a fraction of the fighter he is now. But again, the guys put together a pretty good record. He got a first round submission on Contender Series against a not so worthy opponent. Here he's fighting a guy that on paper could be the better wrestler, that is more athletic, that is faster, that is hitting big strikes. The problem with Phil Hawes is that things fall apart for him suddenly and out of nowhere, and they go straight downhill from there. 
Um, it's hard to trust him in the long term, but I'm going to edge him despite the Dagestani pedigree of the other guy. Phil Haas should be the better wrestler on paper. He's the better striker. I just don't know if he can keep it together for three rounds. I'm going to go with Phil Halls because Ikram doesn't seem to have good striking or power, but I see that there's risk here. Phil Halls also a two-pointer, uh, which is part of what is incentivizing me to go with him. Hmm. Uh, all right. I'm going to pick the main event now. Um, really, really tough one to call. The biggest thing is that Cejudo is like 36 or 37 now, and he's been on the bench for three years. Right. Um, but the fact He's 36 now. Sterling is... What is he, 33? 33. So, I mean... The fact is, I don't believe that Henry Cejudo takes this fight. If He's so smart, and he's been doing such a good job uh, coaching fighters and getting them ready, and we've seen really good results um, from the guys he's been coaching. He's so strategic and so thoughtful, and he is the one-of-one in the area where Aljamain has the most experience. Um, I don't see Aljamain Sterling. He's not as quick as like Demetrius Johnson was like, I don't see him backpacking uh, Henry Cejudo. The other issue is Cejudo can't, even though he's going to be at a reach disadvantage, I have to look up exactly how much, but I think we like, it's crazy if he wouldn't be right. 71 to I'm guessing Cejudo is probably like yeah, there's 68. A, there's a notable, there's a notable 67 reach. point. Yeah, notable reach is finished. But like, Cejudo's dealt with that before. I I just, I feel like when two, when two elite wrestlers and grapplers cancel one another out, it becomes a boxing match. Even with that disparity, we very rarely have seen Cejudo, um, you know, he, he weathered the Marlon Moraes uh, Storm and Maurice is a much better striker um, than Aljamain Sterling, and Cejudo also has power. People don't see his shots come in. He he developed a pretty strong like boxing game. It's much. It's just I just think he's a much better boxer than Sterling is. If the grappling, uh, you know, if the grappling cancels out, um, Cejudo has out strategized and out thought and out fought really cerebral fighters. Like Dominic Cruz, like I, I think you know Sterling's very very good. He's always he's great. He's always there's like he can win. I think he's proven and deserves more respect than he gets. That he can win like any fight. But if Cejudo is picking up where he left off, and that is possible, and I kind of don't believe he's getting in there and like unless he, it's like a GSP mentality. GSP came back to fight. Bisping because he knew that that was a fight. He believed 100% he could win that fight. I think Cejudo 100% knows that he he can and probably should win this fight, uh, and so I think he's going to. Yeah, um, I, I get where you're coming from. It's a pick em on paper for good reason. It's hard to be confident in Sterling, partially because like if you look at some of the people that he has wins over, you know, the argument can be made that, like, things were fortunately going his way, right? T.J. Dillashaw, t- like, literally his arm was basically detached in that fight. So he was going to dominate the fight. It took him a couple of rounds to finish him, too, which, you know, can in itself be a question mark. Piotr Rian, it was a super competitive fight, and then Piotr Rian since then has lost, you know, several fights. So, like, it's not that necessarily Aljamain Sterling took it out of him. It's that Piotr Rian maybe wasn't quite as good as we all assumed he was. He was getting pieced up against Piotr Rian in those 
couple of last couple of rounds before the DQ in their first fight. Corey Sanhagen, he ran through. Pedro Munoz, Jimmy Rivera, Cody Stamen, he did incredibly well against that level of competition. Those guys are like a step below, right? So dominating those guys is still impressive, incredibly impressive. Henry Cejudo, meanwhile, he's beaten some of the best of all time. He beat Dominic Cruz, the best mountainweight champion of all time. He beat uh, TJ Dillashaw, the only other guy that has the argument for being the best bantamweight champion of all time. Ran through Dillashaw. Marlon Moraes is a fine win, I guess. Demetrius Johnson, he beat it via split decision. Maybe didn't earn it, but it was super close and it could have gone either way. So Sergio Pettis is a good win in retrospect as well, right? But here's the thing. The biggest factor to me, yes, they're both wrestlers. Yes, Henry Cejudo on paper is the better wrestler. Henry Cejudo is not a very big guy for this weight division where he could make 125. There's no way Sterling makes 125. He's a giant 135-pound fighter. He's younger by a few by three years. He's an active fighter, right? He's got a, a height and reach advantage in this matchup. Yeah, Henry Cejudo might be the slightly better wrestler on paper, but I'm not sure it'll be that simple. Aljamain Sterling is a funky-ass wrestler. He's a much bigger man. He's an elite grappler once they are on the ground. Not that Henry Cejudo is likely to get submitted unless he comes in as a fraction of his former self. The biggest factor for me is the overall UFC records of... Um, of title fights for guys that are over 35 and over. Henry Cejudo is 36 years old. He's coming off of, on paper, the couch, right? Yeah, I'm sure he's been training. I'm sure he's been coaching. His mind is on the game. There's no doubt about it. It's not like he's dropped off to do real estate. But the fact of the matter is that he's over 35 years old. He's been doing wrestling and martial arts overall for, for almost his entire life at this point, right? How many miles does he have on him? I saw on Embedded uh, a meeting between the two guys, and Henry Cejudo, the way he was talking, it seemed like it seemed like he was almost like, he was like, yeah, I had a really good camp. I'm really ready for this. Uh, I feel great kind of thing. Like, why are you saying this to your opponent? Like, you're, you're in doubt. It's what it seems like to me about it. Sometimes I overthink these things. But again, the age difference, the fact that at 170 pounds and below, a fighter that's 35 years old has a terrible record in title fights. Terrible record. I forget what the exact numbers are, but it's something like I don't know three and fourteen or something, right? I'm gonna pick out. Uh, I'm gonna pick Aljamain Sterling here. Um, I, I think a lot of people don't give him his dues, and, and I don't think that's the case with you, by the way. I think you've given him his dues. Uh, I just feel like I've, I've, I've got to trust in the current champ. I'm gonna believe that we're he's picking do this well super here. late. Also, by the way, shots yep. fired against your buddy Eli Quinta, not necessary. Well, no, and, and it wasn't... Oh, I know, was I was just, I was just, um, But, but Henry Cejudo, just, for the record, did say... I know what you mean. I thought of that, too. Henry Cejudo, I think, talked about how he was going to get into real estate when he quote-unquote retired. Oh. I think the retirement was bullshit. Uh, I, I, think, I think it was predominantly just him just him, um, uh, like wanting more money from Dana White. And Dana White was like, you're retired? I don't give a shit. So it didn't work out for him, and he's back here, and hopefully he's making some money. But I'm going to edge Aljamain Sterling knowing that Henry Cejudo is an excellent fighter, one of the best combat sports athletes. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's bullshit. I, I, I called him the best pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world a couple of years ago um, because I thought he earned that back then. I'm not sure where he is now. I'm going to go with the, the the more known quantity in Sterling, who I know can go five rounds. He can go hard for five rounds. I know his injury uh, injury situation should be okay. He's got surgeries uh, lately. I know he's diversifying his training. I know that he's in Vegas with the USCPI. Um, I'm going to go with Sterling on this one, but it's super close because Fight Ready is an excellent camp. And we saw with Kelvin Gastelum how well they game plan and how well they can actually change a fighter for the positive if they need to. Henry Cejudo on paper doesn't need a whole lot of change to be an elite fighter. Uh, Nick, my next pick is going to be, and this is my final pick, I'm going to take Joseph Holmes to beat Claudio Hibero. Hibero's a really powerful one-shot-at-a-time striker. He's got heavy leg kicks, and then when you come in, he counters you with big bombs. BJJ Brown, um, is a question mark. His cardio is a question mark. I'm going to take Joseph Holmes because he's an underdog. He's got decent decision-making in the first round. I'm not convinced about his cardio either, but I'm going to go with him. He's the taller man here. I think he can go for the long haul and hopefully not get finished, but again, super hard fight to pick. Is there anything left to pick? Uh, just Kron Gracie versus Charles Jodain. 
Ah, oh, Christ. That one is yours, my friend. Yeah, I'm going to go with Cron Gracie. Uh, fair, and, and that will be another two-point pick for you. So good for you, Nikolai. Nick, I have got to run. I've got a meeting happening right about now. I will talk to you soon, buddy. Uh, looking forward to, the, to seeing how all of this plays out. Yeah, 